You're listening to The Over 50 Entrepreneur, the podcast that's dedicated to the business builders who are only getting started when most are winding down. This is the place to discover how to create more freedom from your business while growing the value of your business. Now here's your host, Rick Hadrava. Hey guys, this is Rick Hadrava with another episode of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. Listen, I, I'm so grateful as always that you took the time to listen to today's episode. And this one especially um, was fun for me. A little bit nervous, to be honest with you. And then I came across this little post put out by our guest, and I just wanted to read it to you real quick. It goes like this. Whenever I interview someone and hold in high esteem, I'm always a little nervous. Of course, I don't want to make any heinous mistakes or have something else go wrong, but that's not the main reason. I'm really nervous about it. What I'm really nervous about is that it won't be the amazing person I've built them up to be in my mind, and then I'll be disappointed somehow. We have to be careful not to put people on a pedestal in any sort of relationship, whether it's a friend, someone at work, someone we're dating, or even our spouse because it leads to tensions inside that relationship as we struggle to reconcile the reality of that person with the image we have of them in our head. And, you know, I switched gears a little bit as I thought about that because I wanted to share that because that's what I found myself doing, but it wasn't for that reason. I didn't want to let today's guest down. As you know, this is a somewhat new show and we've had a lot of fun and we just try to be ourselves. And I think that came out. So this Wall Street lawyer turned interview host is often referred to as the Larry King of podcasting. He's an American radio personality, a voice actor, journalist, and hugely successful podcaster. His current podcast, The Jordan Harbinger Show, receives more than 6 million downloads a month, making it one of the most popular podcasts in the world. In fact, his podcast was awarded Apple's Best of 2018 title for all the great work he's doing. He's a husband and father, and he's very interested in helping his audiences become better informed, better critical thinkers, and developing a much deeper understanding of how the world works. Please help me in welcoming to the Epic Studios our guest today, Mr. Jordan Harbinger. Jordan, thanks so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Well, you know, like I was telling you before the show, I've kind of looked up to you. I've listened to you on the podcast for years and so excited to have you here. But, you know, this is the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. And I want to start at the very beginning, if I could. You know, you went to law school with the intent of becoming a a lawyer of some sort and ended Mm -hmm. up on Wall on Wall Street. Take us there. Let's start there with kind of your entrepreneurial journey. Sure. So I started off in law school, obviously not wanting to be a lawyer. And I say obviously, because I think a lot of people in law school don't actually want to be lawyers. It was one of those sort of default, I guess I got to go to law school because everybody says I should go there and, you know, be a lawyer because it's a good job and I don't know what else I want to do, which is not generally the way an awesome career starts, I, I would note. And I started to realize that everybody in my Wall Street firm was, or, or everybody in law school was smarter than me. The, the people who I was working with as an intern on Wall Street were definitely smarter than me. They, were, they seemed to really get it, and I didn't. And I had trouble even paying attention, which later turned out to be just like 
straight up ADD uh, and also a little bit of just boredom with something. And it's really hard for me to pay attention to something if I'm bored and I don't get it or, or don't get the relevance. I think that's true for a lot of folks. So I started to realize, okay, I'm probably going to get canned, you know, like the market's good, so I'll get a job now, but they're eventually going to be like, this guy's such an airhead or a space cadet, he doesn't belong here. Now now I realize that's classic imposter syndrome. So, but back then it seemed really real. And so what I did was I, I studied the partners that were the youngest and I was like, okay, what are these guys, are they a genius? What are they, what's their competitive advantage? Because when I was in high school, my competitive advantage was, eh, I'm you know, able to get B pluses when I show up to a test without studying. That's good enough. Whatever. It's high school. I'd rather hang out with my friends. You know, this typical stupid teenager crap. Sure. And then in college and law school, I realized everyone's really smart, but if I outwork them, I can, I can get ahead. You know, if I study for 16 hours a day instead of zero or whatever everybody else is doing, I'll be fine on the exams. I'll graduate in the top half, third of the class, whatever it is, I'll get a job. But then on Wall Street, I was like, the jig's going to be up at some point right? They're going to be like, okay, this guy's a hard worker, but is that really all we need? And if times get lean, I'm going to be in trouble. And I realized there was one partner that was never in the office and he was really young. And I thought, okay, what's the deal with this guy? Is he he a genius? Does he just outwork everyone? He must work from home. And instead of thinking he's got another competitive advantage that I could adopt, because I was thinking my competitive advantage is no longer just be smarter than everyone show up to the test. It's no longer just outwork everyone. It, it was gone. And I thought, maybe this guy works from home. And if I learn how to work from home, it'll take them longer to figure out that I'm a dumbass and then longer <laughs> to fire me. That was kind of my strategy. Not totally awful, but like, you know, a little misguided. So what happened was I spoke with him and I found out that not only was he not really working from home, I mean, he did that sometimes, but what he had been doing was generating business for the firm. And that's why he had made partner. And I thought, oh, nobody really knows about this. You know, this is like a secret competitive advantage that other people are not necessarily familiar with. And that might be something to focus on right now. Because if I start working on that skill set right now, generating business for the firm, having a good network, whatever it might be, then when the time comes for everyone else to get on board with that, I'll have a five-year head start and maybe I'll regain my competitive advantage. And in the meantime, you know, I'm working from home and it's going to take them longer to fire me. So it was like this cool little secret trick. I was trying to hack the system, if you will. Absolutely. And so you mentioned networking. And if I read something right, you actually started doing a little bit of networking while you were in college. So, So that was something natural to you? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was natural, but I had started doing things like social engineering and trying to learn how to how to network and things like that. You know, like I'd started trying to figure that out um, because I'd heard, oh, you got to network, you got to network. And I realized the law school, the professors weren't teaching us this. I remember there was a, a lot of professionals would come in and talk to us and they would always say, it's it's not about what you know, it's about who you know and all these other cliches. And I thought, great. But the problem was they weren't really getting through to us because what they were saying is not what you know, but who you know. But they were like 60 and they were on, you know, about to retire. That's why they were speaking at the law school. And I thought, yeah, of course, it's all about who you know. Fine. Um, I wasn't born into that. So what's going to happen now is I'm just going to wait, work my way to the top. And then that's how you get your network, right? You spend 20 years, 30 years doing something. That's how you get a network in any given industry. So in the meantime, I'll just keep my head down and work. And that's that's actually the opposite of what they should be teaching. They shouldn't be saying, 
work really hard, make partner, dot, 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 network. What they should be saying is network. And while you're networking your butt off and making all these relationships, use that to make partner while working your butt off, whatever. But like, you should be networking early. You have to dig the well before you get thirsty, as they say, when it comes to networking. You have to actually be building that network the whole time. Because what I see from other people, and when I used to teach a lot of this stuff, I still teach like, agencies, uh, companies, government agencies, intelligence agencies, the, the quote unquote networking skill set. But like what they should be showing is, hey, you get to the top while everyone else is trying to figure out how to win some award or something like that, or like is putting in overtime. You can do the same thing, but you have to be developing relationships because for a few reasons. One, you can't make up for lost time when it comes to relationships. Because if you need something from a connection and you haven't made the connection, you're too late to make the connection because then you're that person who's reaching out cold and being like, hey, Rick, cool, I haven't talked to you in five years. Um, I don't have a job. Do you know anyone hiring? And you're like, yeah, 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 thanks, Jordan. Nice talking with you. Good luck out there, buddy. You know, it's different if you've known someone for years and then they come to you. And additionally, since you can't make up for lost time, the best time to plant a tree, so to speak, was 20 years ago and the second best time is right now. So right now is a good time to start, but it's sure as heck better to say, well, I've known Rick for 20 years, and so asking him for this is not going to be a big deal versus, I guess I better start networking right now that I'm unemployed and living on my mom's couch. So I learned a few important lessons from that experience. You know, as we, as I think about recent graduates in this environment, boy, I don't think there could be better advice than, than that. And um, I appreciate you sharing that. Shift a little bit. So you went to work for this Wall Street firm and then, you know, it didn't last long uh, because of the environment that we were in, the financial crisis, I, I believe. Right. So so what what transpired? How did you get from that environment to the podcasting world? So what happened initially was I had started to realize that networking wasn't super difficult to do but also it was not something intuitive for most people. And I thought, well, I'm shy, so I've got to figure this out. And I started taking networking classes. And I don't mean to sound elitist or anything, but those were often like these Dale Carnegie classes. And those are okay, I guess, if you're afraid to get up in front of a room of 10 people and introduce yourself, which a lot of people in that class were. They were sent there you know, by their boss and they're like, hey, if you can't run meetings, you can't be a manager. And so they'd have this, you know, 60-year-old little old lady who works at the post office, you know, it's like her retirement gig. And she's like, I have to lead teams, you know, and she's a mousy. And there's guys there who like work at a car dealership and they're they're introverted and it's their dad's dealership. So they sent them to Dale Carnegie because they threw their hands up in the air and said, I don't know how to get Junior to be a little bit more outgoing, right? And there's a guy at the front of the room who's in a sweater vest who's teaching us how to be successful. And I'm thinking you're nice and everything, but you're, you know, you're teaching at the YMCA on Wednesdays. Like, I don't know if I want to be taking charisma advice from you, you know? (laughs) Again, I don't want to sound elitist, but I was just thinking, I, this is not a person whose success I want to emulate. So what's going on here? Not that I don't have anything to learn, but I just quickly realized that, okay, I'm not afraid to go up and introduce myself in front of the room. What's the more advanced stuff? And I remember talking with one, one of the instructors and he goes, hey, candidly, we're going to spend the majority of the time getting people comfortable in front of the room. So you you might want to take our sales class. So I took the Dale Carnegie sales class and it was okay. But I was again, talking to a guy who was 
you know, not really doing what I was doing. He was like a former car salesman, really cool guy, but not, I was like, how do I generate business for a firm? And he's like, oh, I can teach you how to sell computers and cars and software and, you know, physical items, but I can't teach you how to run a relationship for three years. So they give you a $2 million contract from Lehman Brothers, you know, and he was really forthright about it. And I thought, okay, I'm learning this from people that don't know how to teach it. And the people that do know how to do this don't know how to teach it, right? The law partners, I started asking them, how do I learn this skill set? And the advice was like, just be cool and like know as many people as possible and, you know, have an active social life. And I thought, right, right, just be cool because this introverted only child law student is just going to say, if I could be cool, don't you think I would have started earlier? If I could have generated a, you know, like, come on, man, just be cool. Thanks, guy who grew up in Brooklyn and knows every investment banker in the city. That's great advice. Let me just start 30 years ago in private schools like you. It just didn't make any sense. There was nothing actionable about the advice. So you started to deconstruct that whole process, I would take it. Yeah. And I was thinking, okay, if somebody doesn't, because the advice I was getting from a lot of places was, well, look them in the eye and have a firm handshake. And I'm like, oh, that's a good start, but it's probably like less than 1% of the equation. If somebody, if I'm hanging out and somebody, and I say, hey, who you sending your deals to Goldman Sachs? You know, you need any legal work? They're probably not going, Jordan, you know, I'd love to give you the deal, but man, you just, you're, you don't have a firm handshake and your eye contact leaves a little to be desired. They're throwing it to their friends because they like that guy or that gal. And they're not throwing it to me because probably nothing to do with my eye contact and handshake. There's just a little bit more to rapport than look them in the eye and have a firm handshake. Right. So, but that was where the advice began and ended. So I thought, okay, I need to actually start from the, the foundations of psychology, influence, persuasion, networking, relationship maintenance. I need to break down what successful people in this area are doing and have been doing for decades. And that's what I need to start teaching. And so I, I or, or learning. So I started learning that. Other people started to get really interested in it. Uh, mostly, I would say only women actually were interested in it. And the reason was, if you tell guys, hey, you know, you need to learn how to network. Every partner says so. And if you learn how to network, you're going to be developing relationships that's going to develop business for the firm. They'd go, yeah, I don't really care because I don't really feel like I have anything to learn because I'm 27 and I'm in law school and working on Wall Street. So I'm arrogant and have nothing to learn from you, especially Jordan. And this isn't going to be a problem for me because I got a great job. And the women were like, oh, this is a man's world. I need every advantage I can get so that I can kick butt. So I'm all ears. So I started teaching these classes both to men and women and there'd be like zero to one guys and then there'd be like 20 women. And I said, you know, rather than doing this in a stinky law quad classroom that half the time is locked when we get there and then we've got to move to Starbucks and there's not enough seats at the table and it's too loud, why don't we just go have drinks and talk about this? And the women were like, this is great. So we would go and have drinks and talk about networking and relationship development for business and the stuff that I was learning. And I came from like a very sort of beginner perspective, sharing what I had learned. And then we started talking about body language and psychology. And since we were at a bar having drinks, I was like, you know, for example, see that couple over there? I bet that they're not on a date. And the women would be like, oh, I'm thinking they are. And it started to be this really sort of typical bar conversation about nonverbal communication, body language, rapport, and it almost became a game. And I started going out every single night with different groups of women to teach this and also learn from their experience because women, as you probably know, are, are so much better at reading 
nonverbal communication than men. So I think it was like half learning, half teaching. And I was doing it for free. So sometimes the women would buy me drinks and other times I would cover it, but we were always learning. And that was really fun. And then guys started going, so you're out here six nights a week with like 20 different women. What's going on? Then, as you can imagine, the classes started to become 50-50 ratio and or then 10 to 1 guys. There was no way to like get all of the people at the table. And I thought, I'm on to something here. Because the guys were really interested, but the, the conversations had long since shifted to just dating because these non-lawyers or these lawyers would bring their non-lawyer roommates, buddies, and they were like, oh, this guy teaches dating skills. And I, I was like, well, it's kind of, I mean, there's overlap, but yada, yada, yada. And then I realized, okay, we're 27, 28, whatever it was, 26, I can't remember. Nobody gives a crap about this, this networking stuff except for a handful of professional, soon-to-be professional women. Everyone cares about the dating stuff, including myself, because I'm single and 26, 27 years old. Why don't we just shift to that and I'll do my own thing with networking and sort of tie it in later? And that became one of the largest, I guess you would call it social and dating coaching companies in the world after a few years because I started talking about that in at the bars. And then I, I realized I have to record this because new people show up every day and I'm repeating myself. So I started burning the conversations to CDs and then finally said, I need to put these online. But at the time, there was no way to put a sound file on the internet just to put a little date on when this all started. There was no way to put a sound file on the internet and have people download it. Uh, So I was putting these on web servers and it got expensive. And a friend finally said, hey, you should do a podcast. People can find it in iTunes. And I said, I think I've heard of iTunes. It's that new music program from Apple, right? And they said, yeah. So I put it up on iTunes and the the podcast was born. And this is 2006. It was one of the first podcasts in the world. And people just ate it up because nobody was talking about this anywhere. Jordan, you, you know, man, this is great. What I think of is you really found interest in this problem. You thought it was networking. But you you allowed yourself to be open to really it, it taking where, wherever the turn went, and that created all this together. And I think that's important because a lot of times people are interested and they're passionate about things, but at the end of the day, the outcome at, at the end is completely different. And I, I think it's an important takeaway for our listeners that, you know, just because we think something is what it is today in business or, or whatever we're pursuing, it goes different directions and, and being open to that, man, it, it served you well, obviously. Yeah. You know, I, I think part of the success comes from being stubborn and sticking with something for a really long time. Finding something early doesn't hurt, but you know, you can squander an opportunity relatively easily. I, I was never somebody who was naturally good at any of this stuff. You know, I was, and I, I don't consider myself particularly adept at picking up new things quickly, or at least I didn't at the time. So this whole, the whole success of the business is predicated upon sticking with something for a kind of an unreasonable amount of time when even I'd met Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, if you know who he is, I met him like in 2006 or 2007 or something. And he was like, you gotta be on video. You got to switch to this platform. You got to switch to that platform. And it, it's like, nah, I just like this podcasting thing. I just like this interviewing thing. It's fun. I enjoy it. You know, making. 
And I didn't want to be in that rat race, and I just enjoyed creating things. And of course, I was still a lawyer on Wall Street. So it's just sort of evolved with me as a person. I would say that I'm maybe even a little bit of a late bloomer when it comes to pretty much everything, right? Like, I didn't even realize that the podcasting thing was something I wanted to be really, really serious about. I think I was seven years in when Robert Greene said, hey, you're pretty good at this interviewing thing, you know? And I went, wow, okay. I mean, this is seven years. Most people who do something that seven years is like, that's all of college and all of high school for a lot of people, or at least close to it, right? right? So it's like, how long did it take me to realize that this was not just a random hobby that I also happened to monetize and was going to be my forever job? You know, so it is it is actually quite funny to look at now. And I'm thinking, oh man, the benefit of 2020 hindsight, I would have done so many things differently, but that's that's literally every human's life, right? Absolutely. I was going to say that we're all up against that. Shoot, you talk about late bloomers, you know, here I am 50. I think the thing of it was, Jordan, you got into it for the interest part of it, not from the business perspective out of the gate, right? It turned into that platform for you. So, So here you have today, this incredibly successful podcast, you're, you're doing well, but the, the first podcast that you had, you know, that, that was also successful. And then you ran into a little bit of a, of a roadblock. Uh, would you be willing to share a little bit about that? Sure. So I worked and created this dating brand and I started working with friends. And this is a common mistake I see founders make. They start working with friends, which makes sense. Like they always say, don't hire your friends. You don't really have a choice, honestly. If you're going to pay someone $30,000 a year in Manhattan for a $65,000 a year in any other city in the United States type job, the only people who are going to work with you are people who are desperate, believe in you, and et cetera, et cetera. And that's going to be your friends, you know, especially when you're in your 20s. The other mistake that I had made was I realized, I, I didn't realize that you know, me coming from the Midwest and having two hardworking parents and then picking out two guys I just happened to like at the time, one of whom never even finished high school, I think, and the other one who had uh, gone to grad school, but a different grad school and never finished his program. I thought, these guys are going to work equally hard, which is a ridiculous notion. I mean, I still think you can get tricked by somebody who ended up going to grad school because they look like they worked hard. But, you know, it wasn't really the case. Uh, and soon after, a lot of things started taking shape. You know, I'd be working 12-hour days and I was like, you guys went to the bar at 2 p.m. and you got up at 11. You know, like, what's going on here? How many days are we going to have like that? And it was a lot. And I realized, oh, no, uh, you know, this is a few years in. Everybody's enthusiastic at first. And I realized, oh, I'm the stubborn SOB who just goes to work every day because that's what my dad did. But you guys are the ones who are kind of waiting for me to make you rich, and I'm not sure I'm down for that. You know, we're splitting a, a small amount of money, and we're living in an expensive city. Why am I doing this? So tension started to arise, and I started to realize over time that, you know, I'm taking Mandarin Chinese lessons because one day we might expand over there because they love learning from Westerners, and that's like the emerging market. And I'm, you know, I'm learning presentation and speaking skills and I'm taking voice lessons and I'm working 12 hour days and I'm teaching courses and I'm taking courses and I'm reading books and these guys are drinking in the damn living room. So I was like, okay, this isn't going to work out long term. But then you start digging this hole for yourself where you're kind of sunk costs like, well, we're, you know, we're eight years in, we're 10 years in, we're this many years in. And over time, I just started to lose faith in the business. And I started to get actually kind of depressed because it was like, I'm lifting these heavy loads and I'm getting these little victories here and there, but I'm being hamstrung the whole time. 
by these guys who are supposed to be my partners, who are wasting money and trying to make sure I can't take any time off and stressing me out all the time. And I, I started to realize that it was deliberate self-sabotage, which is actually, it's actually kind of sad to see people do that because uh, you realize that there's a certain personality type that does it. And I'm like, oh, you, I get it. You don't really want to be successful because you've hit more success. And, and this is a theory. I think they'd hit more success than they'd ever expected in their lives. So they were like, we're maxed out. And the other guy, one of the guys had grown up in a, an unstable home. So he was constantly causing instability in the business. And I'm not saying if you grew up in an unstable home, you're going to be a bad business partner. So I want to caveat this because there's a lot of people who grew up in crazy whirlwind crap. And now they're like amazing. But this was not one of those guys. And he had grown up in a very unstable environment, you know, raised by like a single dad or something like that and lived with his, his crazy extended family. And they were always causing drama so I'd be like, great, we have enough money to pay all the bills and we can give ourselves a bonus and I'm going to go on vacation. And he'd be like, uh, I forgot to do this important tax thing. So we're screwed down. We got to work for three days. And I'm like, we've been reminding you about, our accountant has been reminding you about this. What do you mean you, you know, this happened and it's always someone else's fault and da, da, da. So I was like, this is just going to be a mess. And then if you rinse and repeat that like 50 times with different events, I started to realize again, coming into my 30s that, these patterns are not necessarily accidental. You know, like you forget to file taxes once, you're, you know, you're kind of schmucky, but it's a, it's sort of a rookie entrepreneur mistake and it happens. You don't file taxes for eight straight years and you've got accountants straightening things out and you're getting audited. And then the auditing, the lawyer we hired for the audit doesn't want to work with the guy anymore because he's yelling at him all the time. And I was just like, oh, I get it. You're reenacting your crazy family inside this business, but I don't play that as they used to say in, uh, in Living Color, you, color if you yeah. ever watch that, homie don't play that, right? You remember that? Homie don't play that, absolutely. Yeah, dating myself like crazy here. But I, I realized that, but then I went, uh-oh, but I've been working with you for eight, nine, 10, whatever the, you know, whenever I came to these realizations for years. I can't leave now, it's too hard to start over. And I kept telling myself that over and over and over again until finally a confluence of factors that were just similar to what I'd explained before. And, you know, I'd, I was married at the time. I had a stable family of my own and I just didn't want that stuff in my life. And I said, hey guys, I've got all these plans for growth. You don't want to do them because you want there to be problems. And I just can't be around that. And we, you know, I moved away from the business and I felt better. There's a big red flag when you move away from your business partners and your entire business and you start working from another city in another area and you feel a million times lighter and more happy. That's a good sign that you're in the wrong company. So I said, let's split the company. And they said, that's a great idea. You know, let's do it this way. Let's do it that way. And we split the company and we had an agreement all ready to go and signed. And then these guys said, you know what? We're just going to fire you and take everything. And I said, well, you're going to be in, that's not going to work for you. You know, I've been running the show and the sales team and the marketing for a decade. What are you going to do? They didn't care. They realized we can't. And, and again, this is my theory, but I think they realized it's not they, it's one guy. Let's be real. The other guy was just along for the ride. Um, one guy realized he didn't want me to succeed. And he even said this. This isn't like a harebrained psychology theory. He said, I, I don't want you to succeed without me. And the, the, the reason I think he meant this and did this is because if I succeed without him, it means I didn't need him. And I think that's like his biggest fear as like a guy who grew up in a crappy environment. And I get that. I have some sympathy for that in a way or empathy, I guess you would say. Sure, for sure. That. And so he, he torpedoed the whole deal. 
And I said, you know, what do I do? I started freaking out and I talked to a lot of mentors in the industry and they said, just start your own thing. You're going to be better off without them. And I was like, wah, wah, wah. How do I do that? It's been so long. And, you know, radios and mentor, uh, sorry, mentors and radio and podcasting said, if you just start now, your audience is going to follow you. I didn't believe them, of course, but I had no choice. So I started over and I realized this is going to be slow going, but I also felt better than I had in years. And then they sued me for competing with them. And I said, okay, okay. If you're going to screw the business up and then you're going to leave me with nothing, that's one thing. I can go on without you losers. But if you're going to sue me and try and stop me from making a living just out of pure bitterness, I'm just going to sue you back. So I did that and it, it, it cost them, I mean, I'm a lawyer. It cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars. Meanwhile, they'd lost the host of the show, which was me. They lost the audience of the show because of course they came to my new show, The Jordan Harbinger Show. They, lo- they spent 200,000 plus, I think 300,000 plus on legal fees. Um, they stopped selling because they lost the sales team. And they basically traded, this guy had traded a profitable business that was making millions of dollars for what I think he thought was going to be an ego victory. And he ended up losing the battle. And I, I got to say, I'm happier than ever. We're more profitable than the old company ever was. It was a weird sort of roughy, rough, bumpy ride, but what an epic fail for them and an epic win for me, I got to say. You know, Jordan, as I listen to you, I, I'm almost saddened because that's such a horrible thing. And, and, I, and I remember the, the original show. That's where I really connected with you in the first place. But, you know, I think what I love to hear is that you persevered through that because a lot of times a business owner going through that kind of emotion or that kind of event will fold. Right. And, and yeah. I, I've seen it in small business. They end up saying, I can't do this. This is too hard. They go to work for somebody else. And for some people, let's be honest, that's maybe the avenue they should have gone in the first place. But for that entrepreneur, boy, that's a horrible place to be because they're always wondering what if and, and this. But you you kind of kept forging ahead and just adjusted. And I'm, I imagine that you actually came out of that event a little stronger and, and probably doing things a little differently because of that. Yeah, of course. I mean, think about, you know, you go through this thing that was at the time, like my worst nightmare, like, oh, what am I going to do? How could I start over? It took me 11 years to build the show to where it was and da, 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 da. I recovered within a year because I, I worked really hard and I realized, oh my gosh, Working for myself is so much more rewarding because I'm not carrying dead weight. Not only am I not carrying dead weight, but I don't have people trying to sabotage my success to like fit their own vision of themselves or because and looking back on it, 2020 hindsight, a lot of the business was sabotaged because if we'd succeeded and it was somehow attributed to the show that I was running, because those guys weren't helping at all with that, then that would have been that would have like meant something to them you know, oh, we need him or, oh, we're not as good or it would have meant something sort of weirdly personal. So without that, without that sabotage, we recovered and were bigger than the old business inside of a year, which was, I didn't expect at all. But it just sort of reaffirmed the decision like, wow, I should have left this company years ago, but I didn't have (laughs) the guts. You know, it's like leaving a terrible relationship. You leave and you go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how big of a just dead weight loser I was uh, with. And now that you're free, you change yourself as a person. And that's exactly what happened to me. It felt like a nasty divorce where I came out and realized, oh, I was the one bringing everything to the table. And, you know, that old business is, is 
failing right now. I mean, I think they've lost like 80 to 90% of their income looking at the, the tax returns and things like that, which is in, in they're only just coasting on momentum. And I look at that and I go, wow, I mean, they've been working without me for this long and this is the result of that. But I've been working by myself, well, with my wife and team, of course, for this long. And it just really proved what I'd hoped all along, which was that like what we were doing was the successful part of the business. And it also proved that hey, you can go through this thing that looks like, you know, your worst nightmare come to life. And now you don't have that nightmare anymore because you realize you got through it once and you can get through it again. And now you've got a blueprint. Somebody posted on my Facebook wall a few months back when I'd I'd won some sort of award or something like that. I can't remember what it was exactly. And they said, oh, well, you know what I like about this? Once was potentially luck with the old show, but twice is uh, skill or something along those lines. It sounded better when they posted it, of course. And I thought, <laughs> that's a really cool thing to hear, you know, because once, back with the old show, people would go, well, you know, you started podcasting in 2006, this thing grew organically, you caught a wave with this trendy dating thing, da 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 So, you know, you ended up on top, good for you. But then it was like, oh, then you started from zero without your company behind you and with no funds from the old company to help you build it. And then you came back and crushed like, okay, that's just skill. And I I feel a boost of confidence that I think you only get when you go through a certain type of adversity. Absolutely. It it validates what you're doing. And I mean, who doesn't want that? Speaks volumes. Exactly. So, so Jordan, a couple questions. We're we're getting towards the end of the show. And and so I, I feel like I need to ask a couple of things. One of them would be, you know, as you look out into the future, knowing, you know, we have things like what we're going through now with this pandemic, things come up, but what is it that you see the Jordan Harbinger show doing for the next, you know, couple of years? Do you have plans for it or just keep doing what you're doing? Um, What's that vision that you have for yourself? Yeah. So all, all these things that I wasn't able to do with the old company, and I would say not all of them, because when you're working, I'm one guy now working with my wife and I have, I have my team, but most everyone is just part-time sort of contractor, except for my show engineer, which lives overseas. So I, what I love about it is it's a lifestyle business more so than a growth company, which is kind of like we were sort of floating with that with the last one where we were trying to pretend we were a growth company with three partners, but really it was an inefficient lifestyle business that was bleeding cash because one person was making all the money, you know what I mean? And and the other two guys were spending a bunch of it. So right now, without all those mouths to feed and all these kind of like, well, if I spend the company money, it's not my money kind of mentality. Now it's all mine, right? It belongs to me and my wife. And so we can reinvest in show growth and things like that. So it's really exciting because before it was like, I would be begging to get 500 bucks a month to test some advertising. And now I'm going, okay, let's spend 20 grand this month and 30 grand next month and 25 grand the following month on ads and see if we can grow. And I'm thinking, this is finally the gasoline that I can throw on the proverbial fire that I've been tending to for 12, 13, I guess this is our 14th almost year doing a show of some kind. So the skills are in place. I know what I'm doing. I know the industry. And now it's like, oh, I don't have to light this money on fire, spending money on other people's crap. I can actually invest it in the business, which we had never done before because it was always spent on on frivolous crap or or on salaries uh, for people that were, in my opinion, quite unnecessary. So I'm kind of excited about that because I'm going to do what I love doing, which is interviewing and hosting shows and interviewing amazing people and showcasing them 
But now I can actually buy ads on other shows and test social media advertising and hire people to help me with things. You know, before it was just like me and my wife lifting and doing everything. And now it's like, oh, we've got a 10-month-old kid. Let's hire a nanny so that you can have a few hours free per day, my wife and I, and I so that we can spend time together. She can take a nap because she, you know, is up all night with a baby who's teething. We can work really hard, but we can work from different locations around the world and give our son a really cool education. We can also spend money on uh, staff to help lighten the load a little bit. Like It's really, really nice because at age 40, I realized, oh my gosh, I've been almost living like, kind of almost like a, somebody who's a couple years out of college for years and years and years because we were struggling, but we were doing that to ourselves. Like We didn't need to struggle. It was the result of somebody who you're essentially, people don't realize business partnerships, you are business married to those people, right? Yes, yes. So like, that's the key. Would you marry, and I know like there's all this weird stuff with like, but it's a guy, like same sex relationship. Would you marry the person you're a business partner with? And if the answer is no, they're defective in some very clear way, do not start a business with them. Because you think as a business owner that you can compartmentalize their stuff, you cannot. If they've got a drug problem, you've got a drug problem. If they work three hours a day because they get up at 2 p.m. and then they're tired by five because they're up all night drinking, that's your alcohol problem. If they don't know how to work the computer because they never bothered to learn, that's your technology problem. You're carrying that person. If you're lucky, it's like they're your kid, but if you're, you know what I mean? But yes. usually it's like they're your spouse and they're actively screwing with all of your money, they're screwing with all of your branding, like it's bad. So think about that before you go into business with someone. There are businesses where founders will say, yeah, we met at this conference. And I'm like, how long have you known each other? Oh, we just met last week, uh, you know, a month ago, and we've known each other for three days, and we work remotely, but we run these three businesses together, and we're doing this app, and I'm just thinking, this is a, unless you guys rolled the dice and won the lottery, this is a recipe for disaster. Would you marry somebody you met on Tinder or that you met at a conference once and you've been talking on Zoom? Like, that's what you guys are doing. And whenever I give lectures or, or talk to or, or coach founders here in Silicon Valley and I hear stuff like that, I'm like, keep things at arm's length. You know, don't have a joint bank account. Like, you're literally doing that for your business. And I'm thinking you need to have your own intellectual property and stuff like that. Not saying don't have business partners, but what I am saying is realize the seriousness of the relationship because you can start a business with somebody thinking, yeah, they're a good marketer and I'm a good tech guy. It's a match made in heaven. And it's like, mm, yeah, cool. But do you like the way that they spend money? Do you like their, what are their lifestyle goals? Do they want seven cars and three homes and ones in Geneva? Because if you're thinking, I'm going to live in a one-bedroom apartment and work my butt off all day, and they're trying to buy three houses, guess who's going to have a different salary requirement? You know, these are big issues that you don't think about when you're 27 and you're starting a business and you just think it's going to be fun working with your friends. So a lot, a lot of important lessons learned, but also lessons that you kind of have to learn in many ways the hard way. Because again, you can't just not have business partners most of the time. You just have to be very careful. And if it looks like somebody is blowing it, you need to have that come to, come to Jesus talk with them. And if they still don't get it, exit the relationship, even if it looks like you're going to lose something. And even if you've been in it for five years, and you don't know how to start over, you need to get out. Give yourself the same advice you'd give your buddy if they were in a terrible marriage. Like, it's not going to get any better, right? It's not, if, if the other person isn't trying, it's not going to get better. Get out while you can. You know, I think 
that that's really good advice. And sometimes it's just hard to be honest with yourself. And I think that's important to have a network that, you know, where somebody's not afraid to tell you that, you know, when you don't see it or you don't want to acknowledge it you know, because business is hard by itself. When, when you bring the dynamics of partnerships together, it, it gets even more complicated. And so I really love that. Jordan, you know, man, I'm taking more time than, 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 uh, <laughs> we had talked about, but this is great stuff and I don't want to stop. I want I want to end our show today by talking a little bit about the six-minute networking that program that you put together sure. because, uh, first of all, I love it. I've actually shared that with my group when we do workshops and I, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about that because I think right now with what we're going on in business, more importantly than any anything else we're doing is reaching out to our networks, expanding our networks, and figuring out how we can support one another and support that network. So why did you create the six-minute networking program to begin with? So the six-minute networking uh, was created in part because five-minute networking was taken, obviously. But um, <laughs> I mean, the, the real reason I created the whole program in general was what I'd been teaching for a while with networking was really put to the test when I had to start over with the Jordan Harbinger show because the first thing I did was call people that I had in my network and I realized, okay, if these people are going to help me, then everything I've done up to this point <clears throat> has worked, right? Maintaining relationships over time, et cetera. And I, I did that and I was able, again, to grow the Jordan Harbinger show to bigger than my old show was that was 11 years old. I was able to do that in like eight months to grow it to the same size and larger. And so that was because of my network. You know, I dug the well before I got thirsty. I had that emergency network of people that were gonna come help me in a pinch. And I had hundreds of people that I could rely on for help. And so what I did was, I, what I did is, I wouldn't say accidentally, but it had turned out, thankfully, that I had walked the walk, right? I was practicing what I'd preached in that respect. And that saved my bacon big time. So the network, that I'd built was really like the best insurance policy that you can't, that money cannot buy. And I thought everyone needs this. It's essentially free because it costs you time, but not money. It doesn't matter if you already know people or if you're important, none of that stuff matters. It's about digging the well before you get thirsty and building relationships before you need them. Everybody needs to know how to do this, whether you're in college or whether you're uh, an adult trying to make partner at a law firm or working at Amazon and you're in middle management. Like these are skills that everyone actually needs. <clears throat> so I created this course. It's free, the six-minute networking course, and I gave it away to as many people as would listen. And tons of people right now, I would say every day I get a letter from someone that's like, hey, man, I know you get this all the time, but it's a massive recession. Everyone's working from home. I just got laid off and I got a better job with a raise because I called on my network and I built that because of six-minute networking. And I'm thinking exactly, right? I, I it makes me kind of sad when I hear people, I, I had, I, I routinely tell people about six minute networking on the Jordan Harbinger show and I'll get letters like, hey, you know, I love the show, da, 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 and I'll go, cool, you know, uh, how's six minute networking going for you? And they'll say, oh, I don't need that, I work at a school. <laughs> and I'll say, oh, okay, interesting, you don't think you need that. Or they'll go, oh, I'm in the military, I don't need that. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go, I just interviewed General Martin Dempsey and I told him about this and he said networking is one of the most important things you can do in the military. Do you think that he's wrong about that? He was the 
commander of the Joint Chiefs of Staffs. But if you know if you know more than him as a you know warrant officer in the middle of your career, you know, like not even a warrant officer would know a lot actually. But like you know, a junior enlisted man, then cool, go ahead and, and revel in that belief. But I, you're clearly mistaken, and it, it's heartbreaking because the, those guys will get out of the service or that. Uh, teacher will try to find another job somewhere else or get laid off and they'll go, I don't even know how to start. And I go, yeah, the problem was you were supposed to start three years ago when I told you about this. And it was really frustrating for me to see there were no resources. So that's one of the reasons I created the course because it's so easy. It's easy to be consistent. It literally takes like four to five minutes a day. And it's the kind of thing where when you get laid off or when you rejoin civilian life after the military, you actually have something to fall back on and you're not writing to strangers on Facebook about how it's too hard. If there was one skill to learn right now or to sharpen, it would be this networking. And Jordan, you've done a great job. And, and that can be, that can be, um, that can be accessed at jordanharbinger.com, correct? Yes. It's, it's at jordanharbinger.com slash course. That's where, the course is again, it's free. The show, the Jordan Harbinger show is in any podcast app. And of course at jordanharbinger.com. And I highly recommend you guys take a listen to that podcast. It's, it's one that's on my, on my list and I listen to it all the time. And, you know, we, Jordan, we just didn't get a chance to really dig into uh, the type of people you you've interviewed, but you've done some fascinating things and you share some really great things that make you think I'm grateful for you taking the time to be on our show. Any last parting words that, that, you know, something you'd share with our entrepreneurial community as we bring today's show to an end? Sure. You know, look, again, the best time to plant that tree was 20 years ago and the second best time is right now. So a lot of people will write and go, I'm 50. I can't do this. It's too late for me. Or I've got a great network. I already do a lot of this stuff automatically. I, I get this a lot where people will say, oh, I already do a lot of this. Yeah, I don't care if sometimes you go on LinkedIn or you wish people happy happy birthday on Facebook. That's not what networking is. It's about consistency. How many people can you call and ask for a favor and it's not awkward? If it's not like 50 plus to 100, and be honest with yourself. You know, if you feel like, I couldn't reach out to them, I haven't talked to them in three years, you're not doing this right. And if... If, if you go, oh, I could reach out to anyone. If you mean cold call on LinkedIn and they're never going to answer you, you know, again, be honest with yourself. You should try making a list. I call this layoff lifelines. Make a list of 15 people that you haven't done a great job of keeping in touch with and reach out to them right now while you don't need anything. And if this exercise is tough for you, and actually do it. Don't just like think about it in your head. If you can't make that list or if you make that list and you go, ooh, this is a little awkward, this is more, this is rougher than I thought, then you need to be doing this. It's really sad for me to hear people at age 50 say, oh, I can't do this or say, oh, I already kind of do this. And then three months later, they're like, I can't find another job. I'm over 50. I'm like, well, you could. You just decided that you didn't need to. Nobody goes to the gym and says, well, I went to the gym this week. I'm fit. I'm done now. It's about consistency. And the same thing with networking. You can't go to a networking mixer once a year and think I've got a great network. Those people don't know you and they don't care about you. And you really have to be, once you start being brutally honest with yourself about how you're creating and maintaining relationships, that's when you can fix the problem. But most of us have our head in the sand and we don't find out until we really need that, those connections that they don't really, they're not as strong as we think. And that's a, that's a tough lesson for most people. 
Jordan, I appreciate you, sir. Man, that, such great advice for us to, to leave the show today with. And guys, if you check out our website, www.epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast, we will have show notes, the link to Jordan's information, including his podcast and the six minute networking. And we just want to thank you all for taking the time to listen. And remember, until next time, we're only getting started. The Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Epic Business Advisory, where we help entrepreneurs escape the owner's trap, build businesses that can succeed without you, allowing you the opportunity to realize more freedom, think bigger, and pursue next-level goals. Download our freedom formula at epicsbiz.com formula. And remember, we're only getting started.